Thanks for tuning into the podcast. Before we start the show, I want to let you know something. My latest novel, Personal Fable, is free for the next uh, few days. So if you're hearing this ad, it's currently free if you're a Kindle user. So just look it up on your Kindle. If you don't have a Kindle, you can even get one of those for free by getting the free Kindle app on your phone. And then head over, get Personal Fable, have a read, and if you love it, leave a review. And I hope you love the story. Now, let's get on with the podcast. P.S. The promotion runs the 11th, 12th, and 13th of March. Welcome back to the Hemingway List podcast. We are talking about... Keyboard's turned off. I'll be talking about anything without my keyboard. Uh, what are we up to? We finished chapter five in two readings. It was a shorter chapter, I suppose. Um, and now we're up to chapter six, if it will load. Sorry about this. It's loading rather slowly. Okay, here we go. What uh, Would you like to travel with Edward's Irish fog? One comes very soon to the end of a mind that thinks clearly, but one never comes to the end of Edward. That burn still produces heat today. Oh boy, says Tecrific. It's kind of in a weird out a very backhanded compliment. You never get bored of someone who... Um, we never quite figure someone out if they don't quite make sense. Um, but I don't know. You know what, I really did think it was very sus, that whole bit about how old the windows were being included in, and then he's like, you know, he's just included this thing where he was right about something, despite someone else being sure that they were right, and um, then he insists that he didn't include that in there to show off how right he was about something. He just included it in there to show what Edwards is like. But, uh, I don't know. That seems like a pretty thin veil to me. I think he just enjoyed being right about something. We all know that George's most important thing in life is being clever. Swim says the mum fish. He says, here I am reminded of the world before answers to these types of questions. Is the window modern or not? We're not instantly available. I would rather travel with Edward than George. Edward shares his knowledge while George withholds, i.e. not telling us the name and artist of the painting. Hmm, good point. Um, Yeah, George is an annoying dickhead, I would probably say. He's the best way to describe him. Real know-it-all, and one who just kind of is, you know, the the golden rule of writing is never talk down to your audience, never assume that your reader is, um, or like, like never assume that you're smarter than your reader. I guess is the the best way to think of it, and always write as if you're not. And um, George just comes across as the complete opposite, just a real, uh, you know, self-proclaimed genius, but. The most frustrating thing, frustrating thing is that his writing sucks. So says Simone Fischer says, I don't know about anyone else, but these shorter readings make the book more palatable. 
It will take longer, Ander, to get through, but I like my George in small doses. Well, that's good. I think we'll probably, um, you know, some days I'll want to power through and read as much as possible. And in fact, every day I do, but I also just don't have the time and energy. So we are moving at a little bit of a slower pace, but I'm glad that that suits you, Slim. Alright, chapter six. I'm a bit out of breath at the moment. I don't know why. Probably because I ate too much dessert. (laughs) Uh, Chapter six. A long train journey awaited us, and Edward insists on travelling second class, however hot the weather may be. And all the way to Mainz, the day grew hotter and hotter, the carriage narrower and narrower, and Edward's knees longer and longer. Our carriage was filled with large-bellied Germans... And whenever the train stopped and any of our travelling companions got out, other Germans as large-bellied as those who left us climbed in, followed by their fruen, swaying, perspiring German females, hugely breasted, sweating in their muslin dresses, and tediously good-humoured. It was necessary to find places for the new arrivals and their luggage, and all the way to Mainz it seemed to me that Edward was being asked to remove his luggage and that I was helping him to lift his valets into the rack or out of it. <clears throat> the cathedral is in red brick, rose-coloured domes upon the blue sky, and it is said to be a very ancient date, whether Gothic or Romanesque I cannot remember. Edward seemed loath to express an opinion, and he questioned me regarding the probable age of the certain walls, but not with a view to tempting me into a trap and so repair his own mistake with mine. He is far too good-natured for that. I should like to have shown off Fair Larue. is natural to every human being, but fearing to lose my newly acquired prestige by a mistake, I assured Edward that Maine's cathedral was all right and hurried him off to catch the boat. Anxious to get away for Maine's is a pompous town, imitation French, White streets with tall blue roofs and some formal gardens along the river. We felt as if we were being roasted. The rain itself did not look cooler than molten lead, and we waited limping over the burning cobblestones and asphalt till our boat turned in, our intention being to ascend the rain as far as the boat goes. A couple of hours of Rhenish scenery, however, tamed our enthusiasm, and I sought Edward out among the passengers, feeling that I must tell him at once that I had discovered Rhenish scenery to be entirely opposed to my temperament. As he wished me to see Laurelet, there was nothing for me but to remain on deck until the boat had passed the Rhene Maiden's Rock. The harpist and the fiddler whom he we had on board might have attempted to play some of the Rhene music. They might have at least played the, the motifs, but they continued to scrape out their waltzes as we steamed over the very spot where Ulbrich had robbed the maidens of the fairy gold. We are in the country of Gunther and Hagen. It must have looked better in those days than it does now, otherwise Siegfried would not have left Brunhilde. Do you really think they're in so ugly? Edward, mile after mile of ugly shapeless hills, disfigured by ruins of castles in which one would fain believe that robber barons once lived, but one knows in one's heart that we, they were only built to attract tourists and to make the hills seem still more ugly. Vines have been planted everywhere, and I know of nothing more unpicturesque than a vineyard. 
The beauty of a swelling wheat field is obvious to everybody, and the lesser beauty of fields of oats, barley and rye. I can admire a field of mustard, though I doubt if it would find its way more easily into a picture than a zebra or a Swiss chalet. I love sainfoin and clover, and do not turn up my nose at cabbages, and a potato field in flower is a beautiful sight. Much can be said in favour of mangolds, mangold wurzels, parsnips, and turnip tops, a leathery, but under certain skies they present a pleasant variation in the landscape. The ho- a hop country is one of the most beautiful things in the world, but vines are abhorrent. Not for any moral reasons, I appreciate good wine with difficulty, but I am not a teetotaler. Look, the other bank isn't so ugly. It is higher and steeper, and there are trees, but trees in Germany seem to lose their beauty. They clothe the hillside like gigantic asparagus. At that moment, a castle rose up through the trees, seemingly built upon the top of a crag, and we learned from one of the officers on board that it belonged to a certain German baron who spent some months of every year in it, and we wondered how he reached it, without experiencing, however, the slightest desire to visit him and his German family. There's Bopart, Edward, said... We'll go there. Sorry, excuse me. My heart answered yes, for my heart is full of memories of Bopart. Charming little village on the banks of a river, where we dine on a balcony and where, with a bottle of green wine on the table and the thought of the bottle that will follow in our minds, The hours dream themselves away. We awake at midnight, as from fairyland, and we have been in fairyland, for on Bopart's balcony, we leave the casual and inferior interests of our daily lives to mingle with gods and goddesses. The story of the ring is told there, best by him that knows it. Amid pensive attitudes and minds uplifted to Valhalla, and in telling the August dusk dies on the river, and the song of the river is heard at last coming up through the darkness. All trains stop at Bopard, and Edward discovered a good one soon after midday, so we should have plenty of time to climb the hillside and visit the church, which we did, and found it to be a straight, stiff building with flying buttresses, fine in a way, built in the 14th or 15th century, when every building was beautiful, even in Germany, and when Edward had completed his inspection of the church, we wandered about the hillside, finding ourselves at last in some shady gardens where we had no right to stay. We shall never see those gardens again, but the dim green shade of the trees and the long grass are pleasant to remember, and it was pleasant to lie there for an hour, out of the way of the light. We... Who live under grey skies in the north always cry out for the light, but in the south we follow the shade, and I should have been glad to have lingered all the afternoon in that garden. But Edward was anxious to get on to Nuremberg. The journey is a long and tedious one, and we did not arrive there before something had arisen as much like a quarrel as anything that could happen between me and Edward. A quarrel with Edward is so unthinkable that the reader will pardon me for telling what happened. We were both tired and talking, tired of holding our tongues, tired of thinking, and for some forgotten reason, the conversation had returned on newspapers. 
on their circulation and how they may profit the owner through the advertisements of the circulation does not pass beyond a certain figure. But as the circulation increases, the loss disappears. Not Edward, if a single number costs more to produce than its price it has sold at, the illustrated paper we are speaking of is sold at sixpence. The editor makes a large profit if he sells 20,000, because if he can guarantee that circulation, he can, let's say, get 2,000 pounds of advertisements, the maximum that he can get, and as the paper costs sixpence half penny to produce, you see it will not do for him to sell 25,000 or 30,000. But that is just what I don't see. I've always heard that if you sell enough, that is when the cost of producing a single copy does not exceed the price at which it is sold. Edward remained recalcitrant, and after many efforts on my part to explain, he begged me not to lose my temper. I can't see it. The fog, the fog, I said to myself, is descending upon him, and never was it so thick as it is at the moment between Bopar and Nuremberg, and it lasted all the evening, thickening during dinner, no sign of a pinnacle anywhere, it was not until next morning after breakfast that one began to appear. Okay, let's find out what happened at breakfast tomorrow. Alright, very short reading tonight, but uh, yeah, that's going to do us. Cheers, thanks for listening, see you tomorrow.